Zvevrev. 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 We're watching Acapulco highlights. Tsitsipas versus Zverev. Zverev. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Infinite Jest. <laughs> Infinite Cast, a pod jest about Infinite ca- Jest. <laughs> God damn it. I can't I can't figure. Sorry, this is a day late. Uh we um our, our entire timeline for this weekend got got pushed around because we had to watch, of course, the Snyder Cut on Friday night. Uh it, which it really it, fucked up our whole week. Yeah, it really fucked up our whole shit. Um in a way, the entertainment of its age. Did uh, it did it rock your shit? It rocked my shit. <laughs> uh no. Uh as with all uh much uh debated about uh, pieces of media the most enlightened review is eh, it's fine uh, yeah yeah i don't, I don't yeah, know yeah 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 batman bat batman batman <laughs> uh, really not firing on all on all cylinders on all uh tennis uh um ball yeah your your, your serve is not landing um Let's see. We'll have more to talk about at the end of this episode. Zverev. 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 God, look at that! Look at that guy. What a what a babe. <laughs> yeah, I can see all his leg creases from here. Yeah, his <laughs> leg creases. Uh, very very uh, rare. Very rare. Very vascular. <laughs> uh, in terms of of babe consistency, do you think it goes? Um, mm, I've thought of this uh, many times. Soccer players than tennis players. Uh yeah yeah I think I think soccer I I think bat well babes I think we soccer I think hunks uh maybe more basketball or like hunks are like dreamboats we can get into it we later. can get into this I I will but yeah a lot of a lot of tennis babes a lot I, of soccer babes I'll I'll finish this discussion with uh one of my all time favorite Amber Frost jokes um a very underrated one I think. This is just something she said offhandedly on tour once when we were talking about this, which is that uh, girls like soccer or football players, women like baseball players. I can't I can't argue with that. <laughs> uh, anyway, shall we? Yes. All let's, right. Let's let's get, in. get into it. Seventh uh, November, the year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. You can be at certain parties and not really be there. You can hear how certain parties have their own implied ends embedded in the choreography of the party itself. One of the saddest times Joelle Van Dyne ever feels anywhere is that invisible pivot where a party ends, even a bad party, that moment of unspoken accord when everyone starts collecting his lighter and date, jacket or greatcoat, his one last beer hanging from the plastic rinds, five rings, says certain perfunctory things to the hostess in a way that acknowledges their perfunctoriness without seeming insincere and leaves, usually shutting the door. When everybody's voices recede down the hall, when the hostess turns back in from the closed door and sees the litter and the expanding white V of utter silence in the party's wake. Joelle, at the end of her rope and preparing to hang from it, listening, <laughs> is, su- is supported by a polished hardwood floor above both river and bay's edge, perched uncomfortably in striated light in one of Molly Notkin's chairs, molded in the likeness of great filmmakers from the celluloid canon, seated between empty... Uh, Wait, the chair is molded in the I likeness? I guess, uh, <laughs> I suppose. 
seated between empty Sukor and frightening Murnau in Melier's fiberglass lap. <laughs> his trousers crease uncomfortable and his cummerbund MIT crested. The lurid chair's directors are larger than life. Joelle's feet dangle well off the floor, her squished hamstrings beginning to burn under a damp, thick, cotton Brazilian skirt, which is vivid, curled pale purples and fresh red against a Latin black that seems to glow above pale knees and white rayon knee socks and feet in clogs that are hanging half off, legs swinging like a child's, always feeling like a child in Molly's chairs, conspicuously perched in the eye of a bad party's somewhat forced feeling storm of wit and good cheer, sitting by herself under what used to be her window, the daughter of a low-pH chemist and homemaker from western Kentucky. A lot of fun to be with, normally, if you can get over the disconcerting veil. <laughs> That's Joelle. Among pernicious myths is the one where people always get very upbeat and generous and other-directed right before they eliminate their own map for keeps. The truth is that the hours before suicide are usually an interval of enormous conceit and self-involvement. There are decorative bars, slender and of black iron, that pigeon droppings have made piebald over the west windows to this third-floor cooperative apartment on the East Cambridge fringes of the Back Bay, where near-Professor Notkin is holding a party to celebrate passing her orals in film and film cartridge theory, the doctoral program where Joelle, before her retreat into broadcast sound, uh, had met her. Molly Notkin often confides on the phone to Joelle Van Dyne about the one tormented love of Notkin's life thus far, an erotically circumscribed G.W. Pab scholar at New York University, <laughs> tortured by the neurotic conviction that there are only a finite number of erections possible in the world at any one time, <laughs> and that his tumescence means, e.g., the detumescence of some perhaps more deserving or tortured third-world sorghum farmer or something, <laughs> so that whenever he tumifies, he'll suffer the same order of guilt that your less eccentrically tortured PhD type person will suffer at the idea of, say, wearing baby seal fur. Molly still takes the high speed rail. Oh, the, we're, we're never getting high speed rail. We're never getting high this speed rail. This is the rail. only part of the future that David Foster Wallace well, predicted. It's never going to happen. Yes. Not uh, in America. Also, just as an aside, I do love whenever erections are referred to as with the word tumescence. It is quite funny because it's a, it's a bona. It's a boner. It's a boner. It, he's got a bloody boner, don't he? Boner. Uh, Molly still takes the high-speed rail down to visit him every couple of weeks to be there for him in case by some selfish mischance he happens to harden, prompting <laughs> in him black waves of self-disgust and an extreme neediness for understanding and non-judgmental love. She and poor Molly Notkin are just the same, Joelle reflects, seated alone, watching doctoral candidates taste wine. Sisters, sororal twins, with her fear of direct light, Notkin, and the disguises and whiskers are simply veiled veils. How many sub-Rosa twins are there out there, really? What if heredity, instead of linear, is branching? What if it's not arousal that's so finitely circumscribed? What if, in fact, there were ever only like two really distinct individual people walking around back there in history's mist? That all difference descends from this difference. The whole and the partial. The damaged and the intact. The deformed and the paralyzingly beautiful. The insane and the attendant. 
the hidden and the blindingly open, the performer and the audience. No Zen type one, always rather two, one upside down in a convex lens. Mm-hmm. Joelle is thinking about what she has in her purse. She sits alone in her linen veil and pretty skirt, ob- obliquely looked at, listening to bits <laughs> of... Holly, do you ever feel obliquely looked at? Um, sometimes. That is the condition of being a woman, actually, is yes. that you always feel like you're being obliquely, obliquely looked, looked at. at. And it only decreases with aging. Yes. <laughs> uh, she uh, lis- obliquely looked at, listening to bits of conversation, she reels in out of the overall voice's noise, but seeing no one really else. This at the absolute end of her life and beauty running in a kind of stuttered old handheld 16 millimeter before her eyes projected against the white screen on her side for once from Uncle Bud and twirling to Orin and Jim and why, why, why all the way up to today's wet walk here from the Red Lines downtown stop walking the whole way from East Charles Street, employing a self-conscious and kind of formal stride, but undeniably pretty. The overall walk toward her last hour was on this last day before the great Onanite interdependence revel. <laughs> East Charles. <laughs> I forgot about interdependence. Yes. Day. <laughs> East Charles to the back bay today is a route full of rained on uh, Sienna glazed streets and upscale businesses with awnings and wooden signs hung with cute colonial script and people looking at her like you look at the blind, naked gazes, not knowing she could see everything at all times. She likes the wet walk for this, everything milky and halated through her veil's damp linen, the brick sidewalks of Charles Street, unchipped and impersonally crowded, her legs on autopilot, she a perceptual engine, holding the collar of her overcoat closed at her poncho's neckline in a way that, <laughs> that grad a poncho, students really dress poncho? like shit, I mean, is don't that they? like a Mexican poncho? Like a Sears poncho? Holding, uh, uh, holding the collar of her overcoat closed at her poncho's neckline in a way that lets her hold the veil secure against her face with a finger on her chin, thinking always about what she has in her purse. Stopping in at a discount tobacconist and buying a quality cigar in a, blast, in a glass tube and then a block later placing the cigar inside carefully in among the overflowing waste atop a corner receptacle of pine green mesh, but keeps the tube puts the glass tube in her purse, can hear the rain's thup on tight umbrellas and hear it hiss in the street and can see droplets broken and regathering on her poly-resin coat, cars sheening by with a special lonely sound of cars in rain, wipers making black rainbows on taxis' shimmering, shining windshields. In every alley are green IWD dumpsters and the smaller red IWD dumpsters to take the overflow from the green dumpsters. And the sound of her wood sole clogs against the receding staccato of brittle women's high heels on brick westward as Charles Street now approaches Boston Common and becomes less quaint and upscale. Sodden litter, flat, the only way wet litter can be flat, <laughs> appears on the sidewalk and in the curb's seam. <laughs> and now murky colored people with sacks and Wait, gross. Yes. Look at this fellow putting on a giant sombrero to win his te- tennis award and holding up a giant silver pear. A beautiful <laughs> a trophy that looks like a pear. He, they're in Acapulco, right? Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, that's I, so funny. <laughs> Every country hair. you win, you have to wear the like uh, the hat, stereotypical the hat. hat. I'm just imagining like winning an open in the in France and somebody coming out and putting a beret, a beret on and you giving you a, a silver a baguette. baguette. <laughs> that's so funny. Also, I noticed that uh, one of the sponsors for that tennis match was Amstel Hard Seltzer, which is the kind of bre- uh, brand that you would only know exists if you uh, watch, watch tennis. tennis opens. Amstel Hard Seltzer. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> <laughs> I t- I taste that and I don't like it. Anyway, the 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 rain. Yes. Uh, now murky colored people with sacks and grocery carts appraising that litter, squatting to lift and sift through litter, and the rustle and jut of limbs from dumpsters being sifted by people who all day do nothing but sift through IWD dumpsters, and other people's blue shoeless limbs extending in coronal rays from refrigerator boxes in each block's three alleys and the little cataract of rainwater off the edge of each dumpster's red annexes down sloping side and hitting refrigerator boxes tops with a rhythmless thapa 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 thap somebody going from an alley's lip and ghastly white or blotched faces declaiming to thin air from recessed doorways curtained by rain and for an other directed second joel wishes she'd hung on to the cigar to give away and moving westward into the territory of the endless stem near the end of the Charles, she starts to uh, dispense change she has asked for from doorways and inverted up-tilted boxes. And she gets asked about the deal with the veil with a lack of delicacy she rather prefers. A sooty, wheelchaired man with a dead white face below a notre Ray pays cap uh, <laughs> silently extends a hand for coins. A puffed red cut along that business-like palm, is half-healed and almost visibly closing. It looks like a dent in dough. Joelle gives him a folded US-20 and likes that he says nothing. She buys a .473 liter Pepsi-Cola in a blunt plastic bottle at a store 24, whose Jordanian clerk just looks at her blankly when she asks if they carry big red soda water (laughs) and settles for the Pepsi, and comes out and pours the pop out down a storm drain and watches it pool there, foaming brownly, and stay put because the drain's gate is clogged solid with leaves and sodden litter. She walks on toward the common with the empty bottle and glass tube in her purse. There was no need to buy chore boy pads at the store 24. Joelle Van Dyne is excruciatingly alive and, and caged, and in the director's lap, can call up everything from all times. What will be that most self-involved of acts? Self-canceling to lock oneself. That's committing suicide or uh, ki- yeah. killing oneself. Self-canceling. Yes. To lock oneself in Molly Knockin's bedroom or bath and get so high that she's going to fall down and stop breathing and turn blue and die, clutching her heart. No more back and forth. Boston Common is like a lush hole Boston's built itself around, a 2K square of shiny trees and dripping limbs and green benches over wet grass. Pigeons all over, the same sooty cream as the willow's rinds. Three young black men, perched like tough crows along a bench's back, approve her body and call her bitch with harmless affection <laughs> and ask where the, where's the wedding at. No more deciding to stop at 2,300 hours and then barely getting through the hour show and then hurtling back home at 0130 hours and smoking the chore boys resins and not stopping after all. 
No more throwing the material away and then half an hour later rooting through the trash. No more all four scrutiny of the carpet in hopes of a piece of lint that looks enough like the material to try to smoke. Did did he talk about that before? The phenomenon of like digging certain, through the trash? No, of certain drug users uh becoming obsessed with like picking apart the carpet to find things that look like the drug yeah i I think maybe maybe or maybe i was hearing that somewhere else maybe brace was talking about that on true and on Mm. that that is that is like a a, a, an identifiable thing i think like especially among meth heads that yeah the the way of of the addiction manifesting is like literally like going on all fours digging on the carpet because you think that like you dropped something yeah exactly Yeah, yeah yeah yep uh no more singeing the selvage of veils the Commons South Edge is Boylston Street with its 24-7 commerce. Upscale, cashmere scarves and cellular holsters. Doormen with gold braid. Jewelers with three names. Women with valence curtain bangs. <laughs> stores disgorging shoppers with their wide white monogram twine handle bags. The rain's wet veil blurs things like Jim had designed his neonatal lens to blur things in imitation of a neonatal retina. Everything recognizable and yet without outline. A blur that's more deforming than fuzzy. No more clutching her heart on a nightly basis. What looks like the cage's exit is actually the bars of the cage. The afternoon's meshes. The entrance says exit. There isn't an exit. The ultimate annular fusion, that of exhibit and its cage. Jim's own cage three free show. It is the cage that has entered her somehow. The ingenuity of the whole thing is beyond her. The fun has long since dropped off the too much. She's lost the ability to lie to herself about being able to quit or even about enjoying it still. It no longer delimits and fills the hole. It no longer delimits the hole. There's a certain smell to a rain-wet veil. Something about that collar and the moon saying the moon never looked away. Revolving and yet not. She had hurtled on back home on the night's final tea and gone home and at least finally not turned her face away from the situation. The predicament that she didn't love it anymore, she hated it and wanted to stop and also couldn't stop or imagine stopping or living without it. She had, in a way, uh, done as they'd made Jim do near the end and admitted powerlessness over this cage, this unfree show, weeping, literally clutching her heart, smoking first the chore boy scrap she'd used to trap the vapors and form a smokable resin, then bits of the carpet and the acetate panties she'd filtered the solution through hours earlier, weeping and veilless and yarn-haired like some grotesque clown in all four mirrors of her little room's walls. That's Joelle. Let's, we'll, do, we'll do a little one more segment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're at 18. Yeah, let's do Great. one one more little thing. This uh David just ins- inserts just just to put it in there, but this is the chronology of organization of North American nations revenue enhancing subsidized time by year. Uh one, year of the Whopper, two, year of the Tux medicated pad, three, year of the trial size dove bar, four, year of the Purdue Wonder Chicken, five, year of the Whisper Quiet Maytag Dishmaster. I want one of those. Six, year of the You Shit You 2007 Mimetic Resolution Cartridge View Motherboard Easy to Install Upgrade for Infernatron slash Interlaced TP Systems for Home, Office, or Mobile. Sick. 
Seven, year of dairy products from the American heartland. Eight, year of the dependent alt undergarment. And nine, year of glad, which takes us to EndNote 78. Subject to Onan Department of Weights and Measures Oversight Committee ratification of final contract between GFR Co. Zanesville, Ohio, and the Bureau of Endorsement Revenue, United States Office of Unspecified Services, Vienna, Virginia, 15th of December, a year of the dependent adult undergarment. Great. I'm kind of surprised he just put it. He, oh my God, he just said it. Oh said my God, it. he just, he just, just, oh my God, he admitted it. He admitted it. He just tweeted it out. He just tweeted I it out. I kind of figured that you would always have to like piece it together through context clues. Nope, just on page 223 of this book is, <laughs> is all the years. Uh, Jim's eldest, Oren, punter extraordinaire, Dodger. Hey, okay, Oren, we haven't, we haven't hung out with him for a while. Dodger of flung acid extraordinaire, had once showed Joel Van Dyne his childhood collection of husks of the lemon pledge that the school's players used to keep the sun off. Different size legs and portions of legs, well-muscled arms, a battery of five-hold masks hung on nails from an upright fiberboard sheet. Not all of the husks had names below them. Boylston Street, East, means she passes again the black bronze equestrian statue of Boston's Colonel Shaw and the Massachusetts 54th, illuminated now by a patch of emergent sunlight. Shaw's metal head and raised sword illicitly draped in a large Quebecois fleur-de-lis flag with all four irises stems altered to red blades. So it's absurdly now a red, white, and blue flag. (laughs) Three Boston cops on ladders with poles and shears. The Canadian militants come in the night on the eve of interdependence, thinking anyone cares whether they hang things from historic icons. Hang anti-Onan flags as if anyone not paid to remove them cares one way or the other. The encaged and suicidal have a really hard time imagining anyone caring passionately about anything. <laughs> and here, too, are East Boylston's dealers, Sirens of the Other, Second Cage, uh, standing, as always, outside FAO Schwartz, young little black boys, boys so black they're blue, horrifically skinny and young, little more than living shadows in knit caps and knee-length sweatshirts and very white high tops, shifting and blowing into their cupped hands, alluding to the availability of a certain material, just barely alluding is all, with their postures and bored, blank, important gaze. Certain salesmen have only to stand there. Certain types of sales, the customer comes to you and lo. The cops at the flag across the street don't give them a look. Joelle hurries past the line of dealers. She tries to, her clogs loose and clocking, tarrying for just a moment at the end, just past the gauntlet's end, still within two extended hands' reach of the last board dealer. For here on the street outside Schwartz is placed an odd adverting display, not a live salesman of any sort, but rather a humanoid figure of something that's better than cardboard, untouched by the vendors who don't even seem to look. A display on an angled rear mount stand, like a photo frame stand, 2D. The figure, a man in a wheelchair, in a coat and tie, his lap blanketed and no legs below. His well-fed face uh, artistically reddened with some terrible joy. His smile's arc of the extreme curvature that exists between mirth and fury. His ecstasy terrible to see. His head hairless and plastic and cast back his eyes on the blue harlequin patches of the post-storm sky, looking straight up, or having a seizure, or ecstatic, 
his arms also up and out in a gesture of submission or triumph or thanks. His oddly thick right hand, the receptacle, for the black spine of the case of some new film cartridge being advertised for distribution. The cartridge stuck like a tongue out of a slot in his lineless palm, except there is only this display, this ecstatic figure, and a cartridge no feral vendors removed, no mention of title, no blurbs or quoted references to critics' thumbs, the case's spine itself, bare black, slightly pebbled, generic plastic, conspicuously unlabeled. Two uh, oriental women's shopping bags catch and make her raincoat billow slightly as Joelle stands there briefly, feeling the lines dealers looking at her, assessing. And then someone calls something to one of the cops halfway up the statue, using his first name, which echoes slightly and breaks the spell. The little black boys look away. None of the passers-by seem to notice this display she stands before, reflecting. It's some kind of anti-ad to direct attention at what is not said. Lead up to an inevitability you deny. Not new, but an expensive and affecting display. The film cartridge itself would be a blank, too, or the case empty, worthless, because it really can be removed all the way from the slot in the figure's hand. Joelle removes it and looks at it and puts it back. She's had her last fling with film cartridges. Jim had used her several times. Jim, at the end, had filmed her at prodigious and multi-lens length and refused to share what he'd made of it and died without a note. Takes us to endnote 79. And it goes without saying, without one of those video-recorded suicide notes or fond farewells from the terminally ill, which digital halloos from beyond the grave were, after a brief and video-phony-like vogue by the year of the trial-sized Dove Bar, used only by the tasteless and trailer park tacky, with the very tackiest using Tableau with famous dead Elvis-slash-Carson-grade celebrities to convey their farewells. <laughs> That's dark. Her mental name for the man had been Infinite Jim. Nice. The display cartridge shoves home with a click. One of the young dealers calls her mama and asks, where's the funeral at? For a while, after the acid, after first Orin left and then Jim came and made her sit through that filmed apology scene and then vanished and then came back but only two, only four years, seven months, six days passed to leave for a while after taking the veil. For a while, she liked to get really high and clean. Joelle did. Scrub sinks until they were mint white. Dust the ceilings without using any kind of ladder. Vacuum like a fiend and put in a fresh vacuum bag after each room. Imitate the wife and mother they both declined to shoot. Use in condenses toothbrush on tiles grout. In places along Boylston, cars are triple parked. People's wipers are on that setting that Joelle, who does not drive, imagines to read occasional on the controls. <laughs> Her own personal daddy's old car had wipers controls on the turn signal stock by the wheel. Available yellow cabs pass, hissing in the streets. Over half the passing cabs out here in the rain are advertising themselves as available. Purple numbers lit below taxi. As she remembers things Jim's was, besides a great filmic mind and her true heart's friend, the world's best hailer of Boston cabs, known to have hailed uh, less hailed than conjured cabs in spots where Boston cabs, by all that's right, just aren't. A hailer of Boston cabs in places like Vetersburg, Indiana, and Powell, Wyoming. 
something in the authority of the lifted arm's height, the oncoming taxi undergoing a sort of parallax as it bore down over tumbleweed streets, appearing under Incandenza's upraised palm as if awaiting benediction. He was a tall and physically slow-moving man with a great love of taxis, and they loved him back. (laughs) Never again a cab in four-plus years after that. And so Joelle Van Dyne, a.k.a. Madame P., surrendered, suicidal, eschews tumbrel or hack, her solid clogs sounding formal on the smooth cement down Boylston sidewalk past fine stores revolving doors southeast towards serious brownstone terrain. Wait, Joelle Van Dyne is Madame Psychosis? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Open coat swirling over poncho and hanging rain breaking into stutters and drips. After she had smoked homemade freebase cocaine this a.m. for the last <laughs> time, and then fired up the chore, chore boys, it's hard to say, and good panties she'd used as a last filter and choked on burnt acetate when she'd shredded and smoked them and had wept and imprecated at the mirrors and thrown away her paraphernalia again for the last time when an hour later she'd walked not formally to her tea stop under a parliament of gathering storm clouds and faint sticky bits of autumn thunder to ride to Upper Brighton and find Lady Delphina get real weight from Lady Delphina, so hard to just cut it off mid-binge on a Saturday unless you just passed out. To tell LD when she'd said goodbye and it was the last time, it had really been the penultimate time, but that this was the last time. This was goodbye for real. And get serious weight from Lady Delphina, pay her twice the eight-gram rate as a generous farewell. As she walked without much real formality to her tea stop and stood on the platform, each time mistaking little mutters of thunder for the approach of the train, wanting more of it so badly she could feel her brain heaving around in its skull. Then a pleasant and gentle-faced older black man in raincoat and hat with a little flat black feather in the band and the sort of black frame, styleless spectacles pleasant older black men wear with the weary but dignified mild comportment of the older black. David, waiting alone with her on the chill, dim uh, Davis Square subway platform, This man had folded his herald neatly lengthwise and had it under the same arm he tipped his hat with and said to excuse him if this was an intrusion. But he'd had occasion to see one or two of these linen veils before, around, like what she wore, and was interested and rendered curious. He pronounced all four syllables of interested, which Joel, from Kentucky, enjoyed. If he might be so bold, he said, tipping his hat. Interested. Interested. Uh... Joel had engaged with him completely, which was extremely rare, even off the air. She rather welcomed the chance to think about anything else at all, with the train surely never pulling in. She reflected that the anecdote had gotten about, but not the incident's legacy, she said, as if that part were hidden. The union of the hideously and improbably deformed was unofficially (laughs) founded in London in BS 1940 in London, UK, by the cross-eyed, palate-clefted, and wildly carbuncular wife of a junior member of the House of Commons, a lady whom Sir Winston Churchill, PM UK, having had several glasses of port plus a toddy at a reception for an American Lend-Lease administrator, had addressed in a fashion wholly inappropriate to social intercourse between civilized gentlemen and ladies. Unwittingly, all but authoring the union designed to afford the scopophobic empathic fellowship and the genesis of sturdy inner resources through shame-free and unconstrained concealment. W. Churchill, when the lady, no person's doormat, 
informed him with prim asperity that he appeared to be woefully inebriated, made the anecdotally famous reply that while, yes, yea, verily, he was indeed inebriated, he would the following a.m. be once again sober, while she, dear lady, would tomorrow still be hideously and improbably deformed. Churchill, doubtless under weighty emotional pressures during this period of history, had then proceeded to extinguish his cigar in the lady's sherry and to place a finger bowl napkin delicately over the ruined features of her flaming visage. The laminated non-photo UHID membership card Joel showed the interested old black gentleman related all of this data and more in a point size so tiny the card looked somehow both blank and defaced. <laughs> lot, lot, of, lot of stuff to deal with here now. Yes. So she is improbably deformed. She's improbably deformed. Uh, and she is also Madame Psychosis. She's Madame Psychosis. She's Joelle Van Dyne. She has uh, starred in a couple of Jim Incandenza's movies. movies. She has had some sort of uh, close friendship with him. Uh and or, she also and Orin. seems to have known Orin. Uh, but let's go with the infinite gist. And she's addicted uh, to crack. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, addicted. A, she's addicted to freebasing cocaine. cocaine. Uh, the infinite gist of this is uh, Joel Van Dyne contemplates suicide while walking home on a rainy Boston day. Absolutely. That's the infinite gist. Thank okay, you I'm for the, that podcast within a podcast. <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm going to try to start doing this. That's good. You, sh- you definitely should. That's uh, a good bit. Yes. Uh, w- w- had we been introduced to the, the, this character by name before or did she just nope, come up in the, the f- filmography she came up in the filmography but she's only credited as Madame Psychosis okay oh really yes so this is the first time that we've heard this name that her name is Joelle Van Dyne okay great mm-hmm. um, well she seems like she's got a lot going on in her life she's got a lot on her mind yeah mostly wanting to die uh, do you wanna die uh and uh, I mean, you know, uh, operating such a successful radio program with <laughs> yes, <laughs> with uh, that going on, with all that going on in your life, I mean, that's impressive. Sure, yeah, no, it's uh, she's a, a a functional, a functional addict. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny that I know this book is mostly about boys, uh, but when there's a woman, by golly, there's a woman. <laughs> wow, would you look at her? I mean, did you clock that? She's wearing a veil, so you can't see what her face looked like, but also her body is, like, un- undeniably attractive. <laughs> like, everyone's, well, like, clocking her. Yes, I, I did notice that she was getting, uh, she was getting catcalled by mm-hmm. all the, all the people in, mm-hmm. in, in Boston. The idea of the, the veil as a way to free yourself from being ugly is something that I'm actually very interested in. The... Uh, that I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering why it isn't a thing. I kind of wish it was that more socially acceptable to just wear veils. That it was more socially acceptable to wear veils, and that you know, joining the society of the um, improbably or hideously deformed. I don't know. I, I just I think that's very very interesting. Yes, especially you. One say one might join it even if they weren't deformed, just to have the freedom of uh not pe- people not looking at your fucking face all the time isn't that the um argument that people who w- w- societies where women do cover their faces uh usually offer that in in a way the uh, like removing your face from viewership frees is freeing that's 
interesting because DFW does have a weird low key obsession with Arab women mm-hmm. in this, like especially the he points out like the medical attaché's uh, wife, yes. uh, you know, laugh laughing uh behind uh her hand with all the other with diplomatic all the other women Arab wives, yeah. That he he does have a fascination with that, and I wonder if the veil is in some way related to that. The idea, of, yeah, because. It, I mean, you know, covering your hair and head in religion is usually a modesty thing. Yes. But is there also then, is is it a, a feminist act in a way to not uh, have that be visible to people? I feel like I've heard that argument be made uh, in in support of it. I, I mean, I feel like that's, if you, you like going down that road, uh, brings up a, ho- a host of other questions uh first. yeah obviously it's a yeah. very um it's a it's, it's a complex uh it's a complex question yes with a lot of socio-cultural like, i get difference. it you know uh because as we as i asked you offhandedly do you feel obliquely looked at uh you know it, such is the condition the, ho- the horror the condition of, of woman uh well you know it's more a condition of woman, but you know everybody has that that horror of you know being like seen and existing in a. The ho- yeah, my the, version of that is feeling very large and, and taking up space in uh, public mm, public places. Especially mm-hmm. remember when you used to uh, when one used to ride the subway to work. <laughs> uh, I I always felt whenever I was on the sub a crowded morning subway to uh, to work uh, the the experience of just being so gigantic, so, so large, f- fucking huge, and just. <laughs> The three With giant the tennis balls. The tennis balls. <laughs> I want one. Uh, Why are they so big? Uh, just feeling so fucking enormous and taking up so much fucking space, and just wishing that I could like shrink into nothing. Yeah. Uh, on the subway. Yeah. With my stupid fucking backpack, getting in and holding my stupid fucking coffee, putting all my space on top of uh, um, other people who didn't want it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awful. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Uh, I'm feel like 50% of the stress I experienced in New York City before the pandemic started was due to public transportation. Yeah. Just being around people. Uh, just, Is, isn't that the human condition? Yeah, Everyone just, just wants to be people. left alone, but no one wants to be alone. Yes, it's true. Mm. Yes, that is. Uh, maybe somebody emailed this to us or I saw it posted somewhere, but I do want to bring it up just because there are so many references to Onan in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, the concept that the entire book itself, like the central joke of the entire book, is just uh, a, that it's a jerk off joke. Yeah, um, totally. That w- perhaps even the reason that it is so long and so one might say uh, overwritten, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean that you know as a compliment that it is, yeah, uh, you know, level lovely and, and humorously florid and overwritten, but that it is you know one gigantic. Uh, you know the the literary fiction version of doing the jer- the jerk off motion. Yes, and that and, it's and he's a, aware of that. Yeah, and that uh, even like its obsession with addiction and drugs and substances is like like you know getting high is in its own way a kind of mental jerk masturbation. Off. Yeah. Um, and you know the search for success and physical you know competition and shit like that. That it's a that what is life but one long jerk off. <laughs> and the cure to life might just be or the cure to suffering mm-hmm. might be actually trying to find genuine human connection yeah. it's true well that's my that's my fix anyway that's my life hack uh <laughs> the the long the long 
the long jerk off. God, it's true. W- watching watching TV is masturbation. Going to work is masturbation. Uh, putting on makeup and like caring about your appearance is masturbation. Tennis is masturbation. Killing yourself is a kind of masturbation. Killing yourself is mas- is the ultimate the ultimate jerk off. Yeah, self cancellation. Yeah. So I, that's just something I've been have been thinking about. I think maybe a listener emailed that to mm-hmm. us. Uh, I forget. Yeah, I I forget where I see anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have too much to say about this. The the only other thing I'll point out is the the lens that uh James and Condensa invented to make it uh to to blur and deform things in a way that made it look like you were just being born and looking at the world. Oh yeah, just very funny. Well, wait, so it's like um. You know, like in a, when you're a baby and you oh, first open your eyes and, and you like, like you don't know what everything is. So it's just shapes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the lenses. I love his obsession with lenses. Uh, very Spinoza like. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's a fan of Spinoza, Molly? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do the, you? Maybe. I mean, Spinoza was, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you know, if you know two things about him, it's that he's a philosopher, and then he was a lens, a lens crafter by trade. I did. I didn't know that. I'm. I'm very weak on philosophy. I the anyone I met who was like a philosophy major at school. That I mean, <laughs> talk about masturbation. <laughs> Wait, That's did, a that was a me, that was a mental uh, mental J O. Did you say that Brendan James was a I philosophy he was major? A philosophy major? Maybe he was English. I'll have to ask him. Uh, this is for any Chapo fans out there. This is a, such a fucking deep cut uh, Chapo lore that Molly and original producer Brendan Chapo producer Brendan went to college together. <laughs> it's rather improbable yes, when you think about it. It is. Um. Very funny though, and and knew and what, each other from like com- completely different circumstances before like I became obsessed with the show and eventually became yeah. replaced him as producer when after Molly and I were already dating. It's ve- it's very strange. Well, yes. Skidmore is, is very it's a very powerful school. Yes. It has very powerful vibes because Will went there as well. Will also went to Skidmore. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cre- creative thought matters. That's the um. Is that the Skidmore model? That's the Skidmore model. <laughs> what is that in Latin? <laughs> oh, I don't even think they bothered. <laughs> That's how that's how you know what kind of school it was. I don't think I don't think they they bothered with the Latin translation of that. Creative creative thought, thought matters, and of course you would you would always uh uh wryly smile and smirk and say CTM when you would do something like rig an interesting kind of bong. <laughs> creative thought matters, CTM. Uh yes. <laughs> uh, taking taking a beer bong from a funnel on top of a three story building. Creative thought. creative thought matters. You know what? You know what? Though it does. It does. <laughs> I saw a tweet that said that anyone who f- has positive feelings about their alma mater has some sort of uh, uh, is is some sort of mental case, and I'm like, true, true, yes, <laughs> true. But I do. Uh, I like my college. I just want creative thought matters. Money. It has like one of those um that uh Brendan O'Hare tweet uh, that's like my first ad campaign back after my traumatic brain injury, and it's a picture of the Starbucks. Celebrate good. Celebrate good. <laughs> enjoy well <laughs> creative thought matters creative thought like matters bra- like a completely brain dead slogan uh anyway we got to get going to the park to enjoy some of these uh these rays, these rays. Some, soak up some get, sun get some uh uh one last thing i will say uh thank you to at dugatron yes at dugatron yes for the lovely fan mail i cried uh and everybody go seek out dugatron's Techno music. Hell yeah. 
He has a band camp. They Part- have a band camp. Party Rock. Party, Party Rock, Rock 2021. 2021. Bye. Bye.